podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. All right, and we're off. Let's go. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Inside Try Show with me, Helen Murray. This is the final not final ever, final full episode of 2020. Something should be dropping into your feed over the festive period, but I am going to be taking two weeks off to just have a bit of a breather, really. And then we can go full beans again in January. Thank you very much to Nicole in Switzerland for becoming a patron of the podcast. Nicole's a keen age group triathlete, and um, she's managed to race a few times this year despite COVID, which is cool. And at 55, love this, she's now turning her attention towards ultras. And this bit I love even more. She's focusing on some strength and conditioning work after hearing the recent podcast with Chris Hendy. That's brilliant. And Joe, thank you as well for signing up to be a patron and supporting me Jo says she needs me to keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I intend to. <laughs> Just that little breather over Christmas and then we'll be back on it. And I'm also working on some other exciting projects next year, which I'm sure you will hear about in due course. If you like what I do, you've been listening a lot this year, or maybe this is the first time you are listening, but if you enjoy it and you want to support me, then head over to patreon.com forward slash inside try show. And if you are currently a patron and you're going to be joining me for mulled wine and mince pies, if you're listening at the right time to this, then I shall look forward to seeing you. Now, I will tell you about a little bit about what I've been up to after this week's interview, which is with Melindy Elmore. Before then, thank you as ever for all of your messages over the past week or two. Challenge Daytona has just been on massive triathlon race which we've spoken a bit about and it was some of the best triathletes over all distances competing against each other over in Florida and there really hasn't been that much racing at all at all this year so it was great to have something and to see them all in action and to have that coverage and I don't know if you saw it and if a bit like me you actually felt quite emotional seeing Paula Finley cross the line in first place and Fenella language as well watching her it was just the celebrations oh it made me all like fuzzy inside and yeah sheer brilliance from Gustav even to take the win and George Goodwin what a performance from him to take third that was great Keith you say I thought the coverage was excellent much better than Kona and the Ironman World Championships fantastic racing Joe you say Daytona was brutal but mesmerising, kept me going through a cheeky turbo session on the back of some retch-inducing run intervals. That sounds very pleasant. (laughs) Pete Nash, you said, I had a wonderful weekend off training. I realised I hadn't had one since March. No way. You did get out and walk Shelley though, didn't you, Pete? (laughs) Whilst listening to the two Lucys. Lauren, you say, our passion fit athletes joined in our local chilly duathlon. And it most certainly was chilly by name and nature. But the bit I like, you say it was really interesting seeing how the cold affects different athletes so differently. Some manage it no problem at all. And then some really struggle. I think I'd be in the struggle group. But I don't know. You, I'm going to tell you something later, which blew my mind. <laughs> totally blew my mind. David, you did 6K at 6am at 6 minutes per K pace on the 6th of December, just because it's 2020. <laughs> Ellie, you love the episode with Chris Hendy. You say you and Andy have been trying to get the message about strength and conditioning across to the athletes at Harrogate Tri Club. And so you've shared it with everyone. Awesome. That's what I love. Will, you say I really enjoyed the both episodes, actually, the two Lucy's in conversation and the one with Nikki and Vicky. I think we all did. They were great fun. Joanna, you said probably one of my favourite episodes so far. That was the two Lucys in conversation. You say, I love Lucy Charles Barkley's attitude. Catherine, you say you had a restful Saturday and then a busy, busy Sunday. And your busy, busy Sunday was off the scale busy, busy Sunday. Like orienteering, running home, cold water dip. 
then on the rollers and then you had a Sunday roast. Happy days. Joe, you said, yep, you're in the gym at 6am listening to the to Lucy's age group girl. Lovely to hear them both. And you enjoyed them talking about keeping it fun and using adventures to train. That has to be one of the best ways, doesn't it? Nicola, I loved hearing from the Lucy's. Goss is always so down to earth, which is lovely. Yes, it's that relatability, isn't it? superb john you did 10k on the space sideway in the cairn gorms i imagine that might have been a bit chilly and then pedro yay pedro this one's brill i dragged my daughter who's 12 out on her new mountain bike while i ran in the cold and rain once we were out we both loved it yes time for this week's interview so i wanted to bring you a bit of running inspired wisdom and a running inspired guest this week and I was actually racking my brains a little bit as to who that should be then I had a bit of a brainwave I mean I, th- I think it was a bit of a brainwave and this week's guest once I had had the brainwave seemed like the absolute obvious choice she ticks the coaching box she ticks massively the inspirational story box and she ticks the triathlon box I'm talking about Melindy Elmore from Canada. Now, Melindy was your typical really sporty kid at school. She loved soccer. But when she was 12, it was the Olympics that were on her her radar, in running in particular. And in 2004, she represented Canada at the Athens Olympics in the 1500 metres. She was 24. By 2012, she retired from running and she returned to she returned no she turned to triathlon to get fit again after becoming a mum in 2016 she was racing in the professional ranks it's mad and she went under nine hours on her Ironman debut this is how talented she is it's and just how hard working it's amazing it's amazing but it gets better in 2018 she gave birth to her second son she parked triathlon and pretty much thought that's me done from elite sport. Yep, that's behind me now. So it's what has happened since then that is even more superb because she's gone from having to take walking breaks in the middle of an hour-long easy run to holding the Canadian marathon record in two hours, 24 minutes and 50 seconds. And this is just... Wow, she's on the brink of representing Canada again at the Tokyo Olympics 17 years after her first appearance. And she's a fantastic coach as well. Melinda Elmore, it's an absolute pleasure to have you um, on the podcast and to speak to you again. It's been a couple of years since we last spoke, I think. Probably almost four, I think, because um, when I did my Ironman, it was four years ago this month. Oh, my God. Wow, wow, wow. Well, there's a lot of ground to cover. News is you're still doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Okay, so you have actually kind of retired twice from elite sport. What the heck brought you back then for a third time? Yeah, I didn't really plan to come back after I had a second child in uh, 2018. So that was the end of kind of doing my Ironman phase of my life. And then I was happy to just coast into the into the sunset and have fun and do all that family camping, hiking, lifestyle stuff, which we still do. But um, I started running again just for fun and fitness and then just got, I just don't think I can help myself. I just get competitive and then I just can't wait to do a race again and then I do a race and then, you know, and then I have new goals and I have to do another race and it just snowballs. After you had had your second son, were you happy just doing running for the fun of it. Yeah, 100%. Totally. I remember running with my friends in August um, of 2018. So Ollie was uh, two months old and they were training for Chicago Marathon. And I thought, this is so great. I'm not training for a race. It's so fun to be able to just do what they're doing and not worry about if I'm doing the right pace for myself and the right distance. And I remember literally saying to them that I was... I was hanging up my competitive shoes. I was just happy to run um, and no no expectations. And then about a month later, I uh, signed up for a marathon. 
so what happened in the in the four week period? Well, I like to um to say that it was too much coffee that I had that that morning. So I was going for a run with my husband in the trails, and we left the the children with my parents. And we were having this amazing run and it was a beautiful day. And, you know, I probably had that extra cup of coffee, so I had extra energy. And all of a sudden, I just said to him, oh, maybe I should do a marathon. I kind of just blurted it out. Didn't really think about it a whole lot. And he's like, that's a fabulous idea. And so we went home and I didn't really think a whole lot of it because I come up with ideas all the time and he doesn't take me up on them. Like buy a new house or renovate a house or quit our jobs and travel around the world. Those are the kind of things he doesn't ever really like jump on board with right away. Um, and I, we came home and he uh, had already drafted a training plan for me and he had already looked at the calendar race and was like, I think Houston 2019. So this was September 2018. He's like, Houston, four months, you can be ready. I'm, we'll, we'll sign you up. And then basically I was committed after that. <laughs> and were you excited at the thought of having that goal? Yeah, well, I was excited and I was also really uh I don't know what the word is, humbled by my lack of fitness um, at the time. And and so I just, every run I'd go on for the next two months, I'd think, oh my goodness, like I can't believe that that I'm going to do a marathon. Like, because I was pretty out of shape after having the baby and I didn't train. And for, for, for you, Melinda, just to, to put into context, how yeah. sort of unfit were you? Yeah, I mean, I think legitimately I was not in great shape. I mean, Obviously, I've got a bit of a skewed perspective, but I would run an hour with my friends and have to stop, you know, around 40 minutes to take a walk break or, you know, like midway through, I'm like, okay, guys, this is getting and we're running, you know, five minute kilometers or eight minute miles. So decent, but nothing crazy fast. And and I'd have to stop them for a sec and say, like, I need I need a breather here. You guys run ahead and catch me again. And so, yeah, I had a I had a decent ways to go considering what I ended up doing. And how did the build to that marathon, how did that differ to build for your first Ironman in terms of the process and your enjoyment of it? I think they were similar in in terms of the process and the enjoyment of it. And I think that's kind of what I've tried to really uh, impress upon others that it is as much as the process as the outcome, like enjoying what you're doing, staying in the moment, training, not getting ahead of yourselves. Um, One of my favorite quotes is um, training builds fitness, training doesn't prove fitness. So letting yourself evolve as you're as you get fitter. Um, So for me, like just the challenge of trying something new and kind of being scared of a new goal is is fun. And it also just keeps me honest, like you have to go out and do the sessions because, you know, there's a date on the calendar that, you know, if you if you don't do the work leading into it, it's really going to be painful. And then, like, let's just kind of fast forward to um, there's a lot that happened in between, but I know there's loads that we want to chat about. So basically, you ran a marathon, didn't you? And you had gone into it hoping for sub three. You kind of thought, yeah, I might be able to do that. And you like absolutely smashed that out the park nearer the time because you'd thought, no, actually, I could go. I, c- I can get there. I could get faster than this. So, yeah, I had done two marathons, but as part of Ironman. So they'd both been around three hours. So I knew I could run an approximately a three hour uh, marathon off of, you know, swim bike. And so I figured if I actually just trained for the run, that my initial goal when I signed up for my marathon, my first marathon was around just sub 240. I thought like if I could get a 230 something, that would be a really great day. And and really honestly, starting in September with four months out where the fitness I was in, you know, I'd go and that's about a 345 per K pace, I think. And I was trying to do intervals at that pace and I was blowing up. Like it was really, really hard. And it was really, in my mind, I was thinking, I just don't think I can run 42K at this pace. Like I'm struggling to do six to eight times one kilometer with rest at this pace and it's hard. But as we got, as we approached the race day and really, it didn't really, really connect uh, fitness wise until January and the race was January 20th. So we went away for the Christmas holidays and I did a couple workouts in California where we were and, and I, and I, I was way exceeding my uh, my pace guidelines on my workouts, and I was coming back, and I was would be looking at my watch, going, "I got to slow down, I got to slow down." I'm doing five by five k, and I'm supposed to be running three forty five pace, and I'm running three thirty five suddenly, and I can't slow myself down. So something just clicked where my fitness just finally caught up with the work I had been doing, and 
so Graham and I sat down again and we said, you know, we got to revise this 240 goal. Like we're, we're looking more like 235 or something, 235. And, um, but, but the only, the only, uh, wrench in that plan was I jumped in a half marathon right over the holidays as well, three or four weeks out from the marathon. And it was about an 800. I'm going to get my units mixed up, which is of complete importance, whether it's, um, meters or feet because it's a significant difference but let's just say it was a significant net downhill like it was running off a cliff for half marathon in san diego so starting up at the highway and running to the ocean and i finished and i was literally destroyed like i could not run or walk hardly for a week afterwards and we thought that that it was we thought that i wouldn't be able to race at that point i was so destroyed but once i once i finally like accommodated that traumatic muscle damage that I sustained from all the eccentric loading running downhill, my fitness just like skyrocketed. So it's kind of worth it in the end, but it created a lot of anxiety too. Were you mentally destroyed as well as physically destroyed? I don't know if I was mentally destroyed. I think we were just kind of looking at plan option B. We were kind of going, oh boy, like I'm not going to be ready for uh, Houston in three weeks because this Actually, the the race was December 20th, so it was still a month out, but I had to take literally a week off um, or 10 days even. So it was getting pretty close. So we were starting to find other options like the LA Marathon in March, like just trying to push it back. So we were were regrouping and then all of a sudden the muscle damage kind of healed and repaired. And like I said, I went out for this workout and I couldn't slow myself down and we were back on track again. Were you just like, what the hell is going on with my body? Like, this is insane. I didn't, I didn't know I was capable of all this stuff. Yeah, it's just a thrill, right? I think we all feel that way when we're when we're able to start exceeding our expectations and our fitness starts to finally catch up to all the hard work we've done. And there are plenty of times during the year, and I'm in this scenario right now where that's not the case. Like, I'm looking at my watch, going, "Oh my gosh, this feels really hard for what my watch is telling me." Like, <laughs> are the GPS uh, satellites off right now? Because I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I should be running faster. So, it, when you do hit those kind of magic points in fitness, which ideally should be just a few weeks before a, you know, a whole race, it is. Um, it's a, it's a great feeling, and I guess that. That and the race experience is what really keeps me, at least, coming back for more. So then that standalone marathon, the first one, did you do 2.32, Melindy? Yeah, 2.32.10, I believe. Not to be too exact. (laughs) What did you feel when you stepped over that finish line? Oh, you know what? I had such a fun day and I loved the race so much. I had no idea... Well, you know, if I look back 10 years, I never, never imagined I would love doing Ironman and marathon racing as much as I did. Kind of honestly, to be honest, thought it was like crazy people who enjoyed racing Ironman and marathon. So I'm either part of that crew or, or I've just completely, uh, (laughs) completely busted my own myth. Um, But I just found that I could just really get into the moment and that the race went by so fast and there was so much to enjoy about being out there with so many people and having people cheering and that you know between thinking about aid stations and water and hydration and fueling and pace and where you are in the pack and the wind and etc etc that it just the day goes by so quickly and when I finished the first time in um, January 2019 my first marathon my um, my son was had just just turned seven months I think and so my initial thoughts really were I got to find my kiddo um, he was like exclusively still breastfeeding. He wouldn't take a bottle. He was not really taking solid food. So I was really worried that it had been too long a time for him and that he was one, if he was uh, unhappy, but two, if he was also causing his father to be miserable out there while I was running. So, so I just kind of really shifted gears really fast after I finished the race to go and find them. But you know, when you're in a race of 30, 40,000 people, it's not actually that easy to connect with your um, spectators. So it ended up being like I had to walk a couple more kilometers until the meetup area, right? And and then my husband came along and he just, he's he was emotional. He was, you know, he, he was uh, so happy with how things had gone. And the baby was just fine. <laughs> <laughs> was your husband more emotional than you were? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
when you're spectating, sometimes you, you have the opportunity to have, to have those feelings where when you're racing, you're just like in it. Right. So when did the prospect of the Olympics come on your radar or enter your mind? Oh, pretty much that day. Um, yeah. January 19th, 2019 or whenever the Houston marathon was the 19th or 20th of 2019 finishing the race and having run 232 and having felt like it was super controlled and you know having known like I mentioned earlier that a few months ago I was struggling to run an hour at five minute per kilometer pace and hadn't really done the mileage or training that a typical true marathon build would include and having a young child, all those sort of things. We were thinking, well, like there's several minutes right there that I can chop off my time the next time I go run one. Um, you know, it was only three minutes off of Olympics, two and a half minutes off Olympic standard at that point. So we kind of, um, at that point set the goal that in October 20, on October 20th, 2019, I would run the Toronto waterfront marathon champ, um, which is going to be the Canadian Olympic trials. And the winner of that race in standard was guaranteed a spot on the Canadian Olympic team. So I thought I'm going to go win that race. I'm going to run 229 or whatever it takes to win the race. And, uh, and then we just started getting excited about the fact that here I had this opportunity presented again, that I could make an Olympic team at 40. And that was beyond my wildest dreams. I had never, that had never even crossed my mind until all of a sudden I'm, you know, at this race a month shy of my birthday no, I was a month shy. Yeah. Was I? No, I was a month shy of my 39th birthday at that point. So I knew I'd be 40 the following year. In any case, I just thought, wow, that is just like such a gift to be able to do this again and to enjoy it again and to go out there and be able to run fast again. So we've kind of put all our eggs, so to speak, in that basket over the next uh, eight months to prepare. And then unfortunately, I got an injury like a week before the race. I was really fit and my hamstring just kapoot on me one day after my big, like after I'd started my taper, I'd already done all the hard work and I knew that I was ready to race and I just I had to pull myself from the, from, from the start list. I made the decision literally two days before the race. I just, I just didn't get on the airplane. I woke up that morning and I went for a run. I thought there's no way this is going to hold up for 42 K at the pace I need to run to make the team. So I need to, I need to beg off. And, and so we did. Um, but in any case, the, the whole eight months was directed towards that day. I just love it. It's, I, I was thinking earlier in a way, it's a little bit, little bit like Joe Pavey. <laughs> I love Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just that, I don't know. It, it's it's amazing. And if you think about it, your first Olympics was 2004, right? Yes. And like you as a person, how much have you changed since then? Well, it's a lifetime ago, right? I was basically just a kid out of college. And um, I think my, my good friend, and he's helped me with my builds to Trent Stellingworth says, if only you could have the mind of a 40-year-old and the body of a 20-year-old. <laughs> so I've been able to see it on both ends and I definitely was more resilient at 20 but I think uh I think the experience of life also really helps at this point so it's not guaranteed at all though is it that that you like you haven't you've met the standard the the time haven't you because that happened in the second marathon but actually your place on the Canadian team yet they they haven't picked it have they right so they were supposed to obviously name the team in May of last year because the Olympics were supposed to be in August of this year so uh, Dana Podorsky won the Toronto Waterfront Marathon in standards so she guaranteed her spot she is going she is named to the team and then there's two more discretionary spots that will be named when they name the Olympic team. Um, you know, fingers crossed that we get really good news over the next few months that the Olympics are a go, that this, these vaccinations are helping the world become healthier, that we can start to plan ahead again to, to major events. Um, and so Canada will pick from, you know, two, two more people. And at this point, um, there are three of us who have met the various standards or various criteria for selection and they can pick two of the three of us however there are a number of really strong Canadian women who are still gunning to to make the team and they've put themselves in you know positions to run races in the next few months so um we'll just see where it all you know where it all all comes together um but you've, you've got the Canadian record though 
Well, I do, but boy, oh boy, there's there's some fast girls still, and uh, I hope I hope my my performance can hold up. But you know, at the same time, I I you know I have my radar on on being able to run another race between now and then if I have to. Melinda, as a as a professional athlete, how have you dealt, or how do you deal with that uncertainty of right? Well, there clearly is this massive, massive dangling carrot. So far, done what you can do yet you don't know. Yeah, I think I'm way, I think this is where I talk about where I am at this point in my life compared to 20 or 10, 15 years ago, where I can handle that level of uncertainty a lot better than I would have. And I think the fact that I've already had an opportunity to, uh, to race and put down a performance. So I know that um, it's for other people to beat me at this point. If I were in the scenario where, I mean, if I had not been able to run Houston in 2020, that that may have changed the course of my career really significantly, especially then on the heels of COVID and all of that, you know, like if I hadn't run that 224 and I just thought I could make the team, it was a whole different scenario than, than where I am now. So I'm in a good, good spot. I think um, emotionally that way, it's just, uh, it's just like everybody, it's been a bit of a roller coaster year dealing with everything else in life. But that's almost like the least of my concerns, really. And and is that because you are a mum of two young boys and to you now it's like, how has your relationship with running changed since you were that 15-year-old? Yeah, I I feel like I'm in a really good spot in life with you know, family, and I have so much great community support and friends, and my my little boys are everything to me, and I have a great husband. So, uh, and I love the work that I do. I also coach. So I'm really grateful just that I'm at this point now where this is like a cherry on, a, you know, a bonus. It's a cherry on top for me instead of this is the end all be all, which is maybe what my attitude was more like in my 20s, where so much of the identity, my identity was wrapped up in my race performance where now I feel like you could take it away and, and I'd still be in a really good spot in life. That's amazing, isn't it? And I guess I think that is one of the hardest things for athletes with that, that identity. So how have you transitioned that identity from, I am a mum, you know, I'm an athlete as well, but it's not the only thing I am. Yeah, I I actually identify more with being, you know, the working mom who runs over being a professional triathlete, or not triathlete, professional athlete now, um, because my day in life revolves around, you know, getting my kids to school and helping with their homework and just came back from two hours at Costco because, you know, we're out of coffee and diapers, which are absolute necessities. And then these sorts of things just weren't on my radar again beforehand and they give my day a lot of structure and purpose um and I just I don't really feel like I'm doing anything very differently than any of my friends who are chasing their running goals I'm just I'm just lucky that genetically I'm able to run a little bit faster and have maybe some of these opportunities but they're still putting in the same hard work they're still getting up before work to you know, crush their, their goals and their training as well. And so I can really identify with that. And do you think that you said there that you, you know, maybe you are slightly genetically more gifted perhaps than, than some of your friends, like, do you feel that some of those ingredients, which have made you like this top class athlete, do you think they're exclusive to like you or do you think that, say, some of the people you coach could actually succeed more than they believe they can? Do you think a lot of it comes down to the brain and the mental belief? Oh, it, there's so many factors that come into performance. But I think that having, you know, a, a, an innate ability really helps. And I've been sort of wired to run my whole life. And it's come pretty naturally to me you know, I obviously work hard and I try and keep a really good mindset, but I see that among a lot of people that I work with and a lot of friends that I have and athletes, I see them working hard. I see them, um, you know, setting goals and committing to them. So I just, I would use the analogy that 
you know, we've all got strengths and weaknesses and like math didn't ever come that easily to me. I had to work at it. Music. I played piano my whole life, but I'm not a gifted musician. So yeah, we're, we do have some innate ability and, and what you do with it to foster that, that next stage is important. But you know, the idea that anybody can do anything is kind of uh, a misnomer. The mental strengths, like, do you think that you perhaps do have yeah, a stronger mind than, than say, quite a lot of your, your peers? I don't know about that. I mean, I've worked at, at a lot of things over the years of, you know, having a growth mindset and, and trying to, you know, channel positive energy and thoughts, but I still absolutely fall into cycles of, you know, anxiety and negativity like anyone. And I went through a really rough patch in April, May of this year where, my running was terrible and I was felt like a ball of ball of anxious energy as the world was changing so rapidly. Um, and, you know, I worked through the process to kind of uh, reframe my, my thought process. Um, but again, I think maybe it's maybe a skill as much as anything. Can you give any specifics, Melindy? How did you work? How did you work through that? Well, I actually ended up taking some time off from hard training for a, for quite an extended period, maybe a month or two, and just had to just take the pressure right off and had to realize that there's no races on the horizon anyways. So we might as well not be killing ourselves thinking that we're trying to be in peak fitness at the moment. And just, you know, shift the perspective to focusing on other things that are important and priorities in life. So that was a really if I look back to, you know, the COVID lockdown of the spring, I spent a really amazing amount of good quality time with my kids. And I actually really enjoyed the homeschooling process with my older son. And he learned to read. We were doing interesting projects. We went on great hikes. And I just decided that was a time in my life to really be, you know, the mom that I wanted to be. And not that I'm not now, but now when I'm, you know, when you're working training and parenting, it's a whole lot different than, okay, we can't go anywhere. There are no races. Like, let's just 100% focus on you little people right now. And and that was really a nice chance for us. They, you know, they turned two and six uh, over the spring. So, you know, all these things I think are some, sometimes they can be opportunities to, to pivot, right? And to try to, to put your energies into other parts of life were some of those anxieties was it to do with like routine or was it to do with just the uncertainty of covid um i think all of the above i think for me you know those that week or two where you see like in canada the borders shut down the nhl and nba shuts down the school shut down the olympics get cancelled and we didn't really understand what COVID really was at that time, nearly as much as we do now. And, you know, my husband stopped working in his office out of the house. So he was working at home. So I'm trying to keep the kids quiet so he can do his work, but I don't have time to do my work really. Um, and I was, you know, trying to deal with online schooling, you know, all of those things. And I know that everybody has their story. And I think that it was just a time where, um, when you shift your routine so dramatically and there is so much uncertainty, it's going to cause some, some anxiety for sure. And I felt it probably more like, I think with me, when I, two things happen to me when I feel anxiety and, and I think we all again, feel things differently, but it often manifests physically. So I, I got injured. Like I thought I was coping. Okay. And all of a sudden I was injured and I hadn't really changed anything dramatically in my training and two, I get really um, forgetful or absent-minded because I'm distracted. So my car actually got stolen because I left the car keys in my car on our driveway and somebody was opportunistic and took my car. It is really interesting, isn't it? How stress does manifest itself yeah. in, in other ways. Totally. I was pretending I was fine and everything was good. And then there was just this one day in early June where I couldn't run and my car was stolen. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the world, my world is starting to fall apart too. So. Melody, as a coach, you do do coaching as well. What advice have you given your athletes this year? Well, yeah, I've, I've 
worked with a lot of people and we all respond differently to this. And some people, um, you know, routine and structure, maintaining routine and structure is paramount and they need that strict training schedule with targets and they want to do virtual races and they want to test their fitness and they, they can just kind of, they don't want to, to take, they want to continue on in a really straightforward path. So supporting people if that's what they need. And then I have a lot of people say to me, like, listen, I'm not excited about doing a virtual race. I don't want to do these hard workouts. I need to shift to just it being enjoyment-based, fun-based. I need to take a break. Um, so I think for me as a coach, it was it's as much about listening, like listening to people what they need and what they need to feel supported. Um, and then also, you know, my job to, to make people feel like, and myself included, but but this is normal to feel this way. Um, it's okay to want to race or not want to race. It's okay to want to train or not want to train. These are all normal reactions. Um, and we can't, like, we need to stop forcing ourselves to do something just because that works for somebody else. Like, what what works for you? What do you, what, what gives you a feeling of satisfaction and that you're moving forward right now? So supporting people really and listening to what they need. This year for you, were you, have you been happy to almost have like that maintaining your fitness, like rather than kind of being very, I don't know, like race fit all the time. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I see some of my competitors go out and just run amazing time trials and amazing workouts. And I think, oh my gosh, how did they go to the track and run a 5k and run a PB in a, in a non-race situation by themselves. Yes. <laughs> How do people do that? <laughs> I don't know. That's so cool for them, but it doesn't work for me. Um, so yeah, we kind of took a step back. And and also I think like at, at my age, which, you know, I still hope I have several good years ahead of me, but taking the training load down a notch, I think is going to pay me dividends in the future. So you know, just reducing a little bit of the wear and tear, a little bit of the stress on my body of hammering out 100 mile weeks when maybe 75 is all I need to maintain a, a base level of fitness that I can ramp from. And I'm starting to ramp up again, because I'm hoping that in March, February, March, there will be some races that I want to be ready for. So I'm kind of thinking that I'm targeting those. So my fitness and my training is starting to become a little bit more structured and goal oriented again. But through the summer was like, what's the point of hammering this stuff for for not at the moment as a coach are there certain qualities that you really try hard with in your coaching because maybe you didn't have those from your coaches when you were younger oh man I've had amazing coaches so I feel more like I I have such such big shoes to fill and that I have had the best mentors and the best coaches to work with and if I could be half as good as them then 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 that would be amazing um and you know I had one coach for 20 years he coached me from basically being 12 or 13 right through my right through when I retired from the track and didn't, you, still- didn't you see him earlier like over the haven't you seen him recently he lives nearby. Yeah. So we're still in touch and he is still, you know, like family to me. Um, and I had great coaches at university. I had a great triathlon coach. So I kind of feel like I, I take bits and pieces of what I've learned along the way and that it's, it's a science and it's an art and the art part is just as important the communication and the trying to get to know your athletes. And then the key thing from those coaches, is it the communication or is there anything anything else from those ones that you've just said they were amazing did they all have something in common yeah I think that that coaches first and foremost are are people people right and they need to relate to people and they need to be service oriented to help people achieve their goals and lots of people and lots of science people can write a training plan but to be able to implement it to be able to respond to the ebbs and flows of human we're not robots we're not programmed so I think that's where coaches are really valuable is actually taking the training program and and helping apply it to really dynamic situations that are people with emotions and lives and so much going on that that actually makes that that coach person so valuable how would you advise someone who is maybe going to be doing a lot of triathlons, say in the summer, and they're really, really keen to do a spring marathon. Like what kind of advice would you have for them as a 
coach in terms of how they approach their running. And let's say that this is someone who they're going to do their first Ironman. It's, I don't know, mid 40s, male. They haven't done a whole load of running, but it's almost like that challenge element of it. How much running do they need to do before that Ironman? Well, obviously, it depends on a lot of context, their background and how much running they've done and how much triathlon they've done, their fitness. But I guess the long story short is I don't think you need to do a marathon in order to do an Ironman. And in fact, the marathon part of the Ironman is almost the survival part of the race. Like you have to be able to get through the swim and the bike in order to do the run. So if you can't get to the swim and the bike, then you're not going to get to the run. And, you know, a lot of people, if they say about needing to work on their speed or their running for the triathlon, it's like, well, what about your cycling? Like that's, if you can't run after you bike 180 K, there's no run. So I, I, I think that, um, that the focus needs to be a lot on preparing in those other two disciplines. And Melody, your, your husband actually coaches you, doesn't he? So why, why do you have a coach? Well, I always have needed a coach because there's, you, it's impossible to be objective with yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think, would you overtrain without one? Um, no, I actually don't think I would. I would probably undertrain, honestly. Really? Um, oh yeah. I I I've learned to train harder and learn to train more over the years, but I think I mean if I wasn't on my schedule today to go out and do another run this afternoon, I'd be perfectly happy having only run once. I did I did a run this morning in weights. I feel like I've had a good day. Um <laughs> and I'd really like to just shower and eat and like relax the rest of the day, but I have another run on my schedule that my coach gave me who happens to live with me, so he'll know if it happens. <laughs> How do you manage the relationship? Oh, it's good. I think we just view it as a real family project. And Graham's invested and I'm invested in it and we communicate well and we involve our kids where we can and I think for us in the stage of life we're at that Graham understands everything else I have going on and the demands on my time and energy really well that if somebody wasn't in intimately involved or, or at least was local to be able to touch base with me regularly, it would just be too hard to, to, to try and communicate what I need. Um, and you know, if I'm, we can really be dynamic and adjust as we need to based on, you know, energy levels and communication, like, I think it gets trickier um, in some ways if you're, if, you know, we just know each other so well, so he he can really adjust to what I need. I, when I was um, wanting to do an interview um, about kind of running and things like that, I was looking, I was looking up like elite female running coaches. There really aren't that many obvious ones out there. Could be poor research. I don't know, but just generally, if you kind of type into Google, not a whole load of names come up. Why is that, Melindy? Oh, good question. Um, I think traditionally sports has been male dominated for sure. Like if you look at research, I was just running with someone yesterday and we were talking about she's doing her master's in nursing, um, looking at the number of athletes who um, develop AFib uh, in their 35 plus cohort. And she's like, there's no research on women. Like I was asking her, you know, who are you finding? How are you finding your subjects? Is it male? Is it female? And she said, there's, there's very, very little research on, on women athletes. And, you know, Stacey Sims, uh, kind of a renowned physiologist who works on, on, on women's specific science studies will, will argue that. Um, and so, but I, I think that we're seeing a shift. Like I'm seeing a lot of girls that are girls, women that I ran with, uh, who are getting who are getting into coaching and who are very good coaches and and I coach both the men's and women's team at the university locally and I find that um, you know I get just as much buy-in and respect from the guys team as from the women's team so I appreciate that um, and I think that uh, you know I, I'd like to think that that it's shifting um, I think maybe one of the biggest issues we have right now is just retention of sport among uh, adolescent girls and, and educating girls through those stages and not having drop out at an early age so that they can come on to be leaders in, in the sport as well. Do you have any female coaching role models? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was really lucky when I was at university 20 years ago that our 
coach um, for the women's team, Dina Evans, was brought on, and she was actually only a few years older than me at the time, still is. Um, and I she still it didn't just change. <laughs> I know, she was older than me when I was twenty, and she was twenty-four, right? <laughs> Um, but she's been a great leader and she's still involved and she's not a collegiate coach anymore, but she coaches, um, you know, elite groups in San Francisco Bay area and has been named to USATF teams as a track and field coach. Um, and I, I think I probably took really honestly took that for granted. She was, a she was amazing for me because I had a lot of injuries and she was the support I needed at the time of my life, but I didn't realize how rare it was to have someone like her. And do you, do you think that would actually make a quite a big difference with that retention? I think there's a lot of things that need to happen with retention that maybe aren't uh, directly related to whether you have a male or female coach, because I had a really excellent male coach and he was ahead of his time with a lot of pertinent issues that affect young women. Kind of red ass and things like that and eating disorders and... He was very proactive with me to to help create good mindset and good skills around that and really good communicator. And he collaborated well with my parents. And um, so I wouldn't have changed anything and don't feel like I feel like I was given the best case scenario. And it, he was a man like yeah. he would have been, done a better job with me if he wasn't. Um you know, some of the stories that have come out recently in the last few years around safe sport have been really alarming. Um, we've had a couple stories in Canada that have been really heartbreaking around girls being exploited and, and even worse, abused, and that sort of thing. Um, and that is that culture really needs to change. But, you know, again, I had a great male coach. I have a great husband who's a great coach. So I don't want to paint, paint the picture black and white. It would be just awesome, like in anything, in politics, and business, in sport, to have more equal representation because women are just as skilled and educated and, and good at these types of things as men. And how far would you like to take your own coaching when when the day comes that you retire for the third time from, <laughs> from retiring? Um, I really love coaching and I'm really, really passionate about helping people and trying to take, trying to set my own career aside to really empower people on their own goals and not make their goals, my goals and vice versa. Um, and if I am able to retire from the sport, but I can never really truly retire, um, to continue working in the sport for the rest of my life really would be, would be a dream. And I, I would love to create more post-collegiate training group environments um, for people to train because I think a lot of especially oriented towards women graduate from university and then it's like oh what's next oh I guess I got to get a job or go back to school because that's the end of end of my running career and just helping people um, bridge that that gap between kind of collegiate uh, collegiate competitive experience and and post-collegiate running experiences would be really amazing. There's a couple of other things I, I would love to touch on. One of them being strength versus speed. Can you kind of explain that, that you say strength is speed? Right. Um, I do say that. Um, so, <laughs> explain yourself. Yeah. So I'm going to use the analogy of a 1500 because this is where I first kind of discovered this. Um, so people are milers or 1500 meter runners. And let's say they want to run a four minute 1500, which is really, really, really fast. Obviously that's world-class for women. And that's uh, fast for high school boys for context. So it's a 64 second uh, pace for 400 meters for three and three quarter laps of the track. Lots of people can go out and run 32 seconds for 200 meters. That's not very hard. I mean, it's, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. I don't even know I could do that right now. But for an elite trained track and field runner, a 32 second split for 200 meters is, is manageable. And people would be able to do reps of that. They could do 10 times 200 meters in 32 seconds. And then they'll say, well, what I really need to do is work on my speed. But really, what they really need to do is get to 1,300 meters of a 1,500 meter race and be able to run 32 seconds still at the end of a race. 
because that's when everyone else is dying. And that's when everyone else is like completely blowing up from lactic. And if you can run 32 seconds, you're going to be kicking relative to everyone else if, if you've been running that pace the whole race. So you actually don't need to be any faster. You just need to be able to do that and be strong enough to do it for the whole race and not die. That, that, that's quite short and sweet. <laughs> would you, but would you, um, someone listening to this who maybe goes and does their 5K, goes and does the 10K, does the same principle apply? Relatively speaking. I mean, I guess it's just that you need to have a really strong aerobic system to be able to do these endurance events. And the 1500 is about a 50-50 aerobic anaerobic event. The longer the distance goes, the more aerobic energy you're using. So the 5K, um, yeah, you just need to be able to run kind of on the edge of a comfort zone for a really long time. And I, I was at a road race a couple years ago and one of my, my athletes who I coached, who's uh, a friend of mine said, well, I'm going to go out nice and easy and then like make it feel really comfortable. I'm like, mm, no, 5k is way too short for it ever to really feel very comfortable. <laughs> you kind of just got to go out and run as fast as you can for 5k, which is going to be, you know, for a lot of age groupers around 20 minutes, around a four minute kilometer, that feels hard. These, and that's the thing with these races. I don't know what the hardest race distance is. Is it 800 or is it a marathon or is it an Ironman or is it a sprint triathlon? The point is you're going to go as hard as you can for the distance that you're given. So it's going to hurt no matter what. And Melinda, you said that in, so what, May 20, May 2019, I think you said that if someone had said to you a year prior what you would be doing you would have laughed at them. Well, a year prior, I was eight months pregnant and was on bed rest from high blood pressure. <laughs> All I heard about was getting a baby out of me. So yeah, I I never, never really imagined that I would ever be back at this level. And it just, it still just makes me chuckle thinking about, wow, I could go to the Olympics again. Like that ship had sailed. I was, I was over that. And I think that's maybe why it's, so fun now is that I had no expectation of this so it is all just it's all just like a bonus round I love that if only everyone could have a bonus round Melindy life would be great well honestly I know you have to go and do another run um I am going to say thank you so much for um taking the time to do this I could carry on chatting for hours but I'm not going to uh yeah so thank you so much Thank you. And you know what? I just have to to launch something back out out to you is uh, how is changing tires going for you? Oh, yes. Okay. So four years ago, Melinda and I placed a bet that we would both practice changing flat tires. I'm still crap. Yeah. And I quit the sport. <laughs> so I don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Still rubbish. So um, that's not going so there. In another four years and see where we're at then, hey? <laughs> Let's do that. Maybe I'll have quit by then. <laughs> Can you love Melindy Elmore anymore? What an awesome, awesome woman. I have put links to her website and social media and things like that in the show notes over at insidetryshow.com. Just find this week's episode and then you will find all of the links. And that is one story I cannot wait to follow over the next few months and Melindy we are all going to be rooting for you to qualify for that place on Team Canada for the Olympics. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. We spoke about the cold earlier after Lauren you got in touch and saying that different athletes deal differently with the cold. Now, I really am no. <laughs> I've spoken about the cold. And when I interviewed Lucy Gossage and Lucy Charles Barkley the other day, they both just thought, are you a complete and utter nut freak? I was standing here and they could see me because we had like a, a video on and I had my woolly hat on indoors. I think I actually had put my gloves on as well because my hands had just gone. So yeah, I am the person who really struggles with the cold and I've spoken a little bit about my chilly swimming so we ha we have been going since what is it uh don't know end of October middle of October now I've been going and it's gradually gone down from say 12 degrees I think and we've been putting more neoprene on more kit on more merino stuff under my wetsuit 
this weekend on Sunday, we went in 5.1 degrees. It's just, and the air temperature was probably about four. That is by far the coldest water I have ever swum in. I promise I just didn't ever think I would ever choose or be able to swim in that temperature. And it was a marked out course. So we're back to being able to go to an organized place. So they have the, I think it's either 400 or 450 meters marked out course. And I got in okay because I've got my neoprene boots and you can't feel the water straight away. So I think that helps massively. And then gradually you you feel it kind of dripping into your wetsuit and you're like, oh, this is a little bit cold. And then it's all about the breaststroke to begin with. Absolutely all about the breaststroke. So I was breaststroking towards this first buoy, which must be about, I don't know, 100, 150 meters away. And I got about halfway and I kind of had this slight panic because I thought, I really don't know if I can get to that first buoy. I, I don't think I can do it. And just that sense of doubt and that sense of what am I actually going to do? do? Do I put my hand up or quite what? And then I thought, Helen, don't be stupid. Take a moment. Look around you. Just take it all in. So then I was noticing the steam rising from the water. Yes, it was that cold. I was noticing a duck. I think it was a duck. I'm half blind. Couldn't really see. I was noticing a tiny bit of like blue sky in the air and a couple of birds. And I was thinking, just embrace being in the nature. This is so freaking cold. But just get get to that first boy and then I think you'll be okay. So then between the first and the second boy, I gradually did a bit more. Okay, my head was getting in a little bit more, the chin. (laughs) And gradually I could get my head in. And it really stings your forehead, blimey. But by the time I got to the second boy, I had managed to do a, a little bit of front crawl. And then, yeah, again, that second boy to the third boy, the last one, a little bit more front crawl. And I think one of the worst bits is when you actually stand up again and that cold water like drips down out of your wetsuit. That bit's horrendous. Ugh. So yeah, we did it. And that sense of achievement was just... It's just massive. So I wouldn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. But in terms of a challenge and taking me out of my comfort zone and proving that I can do something, it's absolutely on another scale. It's just mental. So I don't know if we're now going to be able to go over the next few weeks. Um, we have something very big, very busy going to be happening. But I would get back in, basically. And I think I probably could go colder than 5.1 because if you've done 5.1, I might not stay in for as long. But yeah, I I think I could do it, (laughs) which is unbelievable. Absolutely bonkers. So yeah, so that was Sunday. On Saturday, I finished the Laureen's Ride, which is this trail that I have been doing, which is on our doorstep. It's like a horse riding loop. And I had done one part of it which was 28k it was a cheshire cheese loop with no cheese but you do go through a lot of farms and then this weekend was the heritage loop now the heritage loop goes to the north of where we live and takes in the joys of manchester airport so you're pretty much running right along the runway which is pretty cool actually it's very eerie though at the moment because it's just not a busy they're just not busy places are they so normally you'd get airplanes you know taking off landing it'd be really really noisy nothing at all spookily quiet and then it it goes as well this trail goes through a place called style mill which is yeah an old victorian mill actually went there on a school trip probably in primary school um but it's a a beautiful grounds and things like that so it's very very cool and then the last bit oh geez the mud was it was all over fields to get back to this pub where rich was going to be waiting for me with a hot cup of tea and a croissant in the car and like you know if a horse or a cow's been been in a field and and then it's just squelched absolutely everywhere and yeah mud all over the place so that bit was 
possibly the hardest bit but I had a bit more five and I had a bit more Shakira and I got through it so yeah really really chuffed to have finished Laureen's ride as my little lockdown project sorry I've blabbered on blimey right (laughs) I should say thank you so much to everyone who supports the show if like me you are addicted to nut butter you're going to get 10% off with the code inside try 10 or lowercase over at resilientnutrition.com or follow the link in this week's show notes at insidetryshow.com. 33fuel.com do award-winning daily greens, really natural and deliciously yummy energy bars and protein bars. They also do workout shakes and chia seed gels. So if you want something more natural, then head over to 33fuel.com. Use the code insidetry 33 and you'll get a discount at checkout and then the lovely james over at comfuel.co.uk will give you 20 percent off all sorts of different sports nutrition water bottles face masks sweat tests and oh my god here's a new one if you like chocolate like i do they now stock tony's chocoloni which has to be right up there in the chocolate world if you haven't tried it honestly google tony's chocoloni it's delicious. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's sports nutrition. It's not. It's chocolate. But chocolate's good, right? So you can get 20% off over at comfuel.co.uk with the code inside try. All the links are over in the show notes and also in my regular newsletter, which you can sign up for. So that is it from me. Have a wonderful Christmas and the new year. Thank you for listening this year. It's been amazing. Totally more than I expected ever. And yeah, let's do it again. All over again in 2021. Podcast Network.